Hello and welcome to the very first uh, episode of the Edinburgh Tradfest podcast with myself, Jane Ann Purdy, and myself, Douglas Robertson. How are you doing, Douglas? I'm doing fine. So what what we got on the show today? Uh, a whole bunch of things. Um, yeah, Eliza Carthy, uh, who would have been the kind of big act from Tradfest this year. Uh-huh. Pablo La Fuente from Project Smock, talking about life in lockdown, its pluses and minuses, but in his case, mostly pluses. Very optimistic guy. Kevin Henderson of the Nordic Fiddler's Block and Fiddler's Bid and God knows what else. Old time, once member of Boys of the Loch, chatting from Norway. Um, and uh, finally, a little story, one of a series, the first of a series from members of Sugar Nifty. This time it'll be uh, Illy Shaw chatting about adventures and hitchhiking. Great. So let's uh, get on with uh, Eliza. So Eliza Carthy is at home in Robin Hood's Bay um, and has tons of things to talk about, actually. Um, She is retraining. Um, She is recording. She's looking after her mum and dad and her kids. And she's got uh, a new record out, too, which we're going to hear all about. Eliza Carthy forms an unbroken line from not one but two legendary tradition bearers, Martin Carthy and Norma Waterson. While she is one of the shining stars of English folk, it is perhaps a lesser known fact that Eliza spent many years living in Scotland. While other English folk stars find it hard to get a foothold on this side of the border, Eliza has carved her own unshakable special place in our hearts. In lieu of her headlining slot at this year's festival, we're delighted that she has agreed to speak to us today. Hi! <laughs> Hello, how are you? And, and where are I'm you, right, as if thanks. we don't know? <laughs> How's your belly for spots, as they say in Yorkshire, which is where I am. Okay, <laughs> just checked. So where are you right now? Oh, I, I'm in our, uh, I'm in my parents' music room. I, when I moved, when I moved down from Edinburgh, it was after, just after my mum had been in a coma and I, helped, I came down to sort of help take care of her and everything. We just ended up staying. So, um, yeah, we all live together in the house in Robin Hood's Bay and me and my parents and the kids. And has it been lovely to be in lockdown together and not separated like a lot of people have been from their families? Um, yeah, it's a bit like always Christmas and never going out. <laughs> so it's, it can be it can be tense. But um, yeah, I I feel very lucky. Um, I, I feel that we have been much luckier than than some others as well. Yes, I do because my, well, if 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 only for the fact that my mum's actually been quite ill. She was quite ill last year, and then my dad got shingles as well. So <clears throat> having being there to be able to take care of both of them was was good, and also them having you know unfettered access to the children um, is also wonderful because we're a big believer in generations. Unsurprisingly, in my family, so. I'm not sure the children having completely unfettered access to, access to them makes them feel lucky or not when it's three o'clock in the morning and my youngest goes and goes, Nanny, I can't sleep. But uh, yeah, it's it's been uh, yeah, it's 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 good to be it's good to be a family in in these situations. I think in these situations that we haven't been through before. But yeah, I'm basically I'm a combination of desk job and housewife now. So wow, very exciting. Not really. So how much music are you playing? Have you been playing with your mum and dad? or? Um, it comes and goes. Really, when mum was very ill at the beginning of lockdown last year and before she had her operation, she had a heart operation uh, in the summer last year. When was it? Uh, July, I think, July or August. Yeah, before that happened, my dad really shut down almost completely. Um, he stopped playing music for about three months and in fact started saying that he'd given up music which was horrifying the first time that came out of his mouth I was like whoa hello don't do that please um but then things did start to to creep back we had the most wonderful sort of few weeks of silence where my FOMO just went out of the window altogether and I was like right okay you know because I was supposed to be on the road Exactly one year ago today, yep. April Fool's Day, I told a joke that started the whole world laughing. <laughs> um, <laughs> didn't go on tour. Album didn't come out. It's all my fault. But um, 
Um, so when when that happened, I, I just went, okay, it would just just relax. I've been working very feverishly towards the release date and the beginning of the tour and all that kind of stuff. All went away. All went away for everybody. So there's nothing you can do about that. But then, you know, as people started to to, to broadcast online and things like that, I thought, right, okay, we need to we need to get involved. And my dad realised that he'd um, a bit. I mean, he's nearly eighty. You know, he's eighty in May. Mm. So he realised that he'd actually forgotten a bunch of stuff as well. So he started really going through his back catalogue in in earnest and relearning everything, sitting down for hours, writing out all the words of his songs and all of that. And he's, yeah, so he's finding new ways to play now and new ways to be. We have done a couple of things together. Um, I also engineered for him for his uh, Live to Your Living Room gig, which was very exciting because I'm a terrible engineer. But um, I did my best. Yeah. We did all right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've we've done a few festivals, a few bits and pieces, a few commissions. Um, we're just looking forward to getting back to work, which will be 29th of May at the Brighton Festival. Wow, that's great. I think a lot of people have been learning new stuff, you know, or relearning their old stuff because there's been a, quite a few musicians, you know, who have really had to keep keep their their hand in a bit, you know they're not used to having to actually you know if you're touring a lot and you're playing a lot you don't really have to sit down and think oh better practice or a better you know relearn those Mm. tunes so I'm just uh the physicality the physicality of being a musician is crazy Mm -hmm. and I hadn't realized you know I've been on the road since I was 13 and I've never and also the, the the last band I was in involved lots and lots of running around and jumping up and down and shouting and um you know pogoing on the spot and wearing a corset for five minutes straight wearing a corset <laughs> with my fiddle clamped underneath my chin you know um so after a, a couple of months off getting back to playing the fiddle again I was like oh oh okay well that shoulder's a bit weird and my oh why have my thumbs gone numb yeah. <laughs> what's happening with this arm and things like that are just like you you know you've we've basically all of us just gone back to jelly square one you know so um yeah the the importance of of not just being an everyday working musician but being somebody who yeah has to practice it's been a while yeah. so, but you've learned i think yeah you've we've all felt learned it. some new stuff as well haven't you i think that you were learning drumming is that right <laughs> I will be hopefully uh-huh. fingers crossed okay. I've applied I've applied for an arts council England grant uh, called developing your creative practice and you know there was that whole hoo-ha from Rishi Sunak telling everybody in the entertainment business that they needed to retrain you know he wanted to, us all to become techno geeks which some of us are already anyway but but um after that, that sort of went in and I went, well, no, I'm never going to go and work in cyber, but perhaps actually I could be using this time to improve what I do from home. I mean, I'm never going to be in a situation where I'm not going to employ crew. I mean, my crew and my, my mm-hmm. producers, my sound engineers are extremely important to me and I'm never going to cut out that part of the food chain. But on the other hand, um, I've never been in a situation where I've written on my own. I've never done that. My last band was a 12-piece band, you know. I'm used to writing with at least one other person, if not a group of people. So, yeah, I've applied to to retrain in uh, music tech, music theory, piano, which was actually my first instrument. Um, And I sort of let it go when I started playing the fiddle professionally. Uh, yes, um, and drums. I'm going to get drum lessons from from Willie Mollison, my drummer, and also dance. I, I'm working with a an ex Matthew Bourne dancer who's really into East Anglian step dancing, and we have a show together as part of the Brighton Festival. Um, and I'm hoping to bust a move in the middle of the set. Cool. So uh, it's going to be, yeah. I I just I want to be able to more you know more effectively demo from home. I want to feel like I have more musical agency, you know. So um, that's that's one thing I've been I've been learning how to do. Another thing I've been doing is teaching on well online and on the phone. I joined Clubhouse yeah. back in January, mm-hmm. which is that social. It's a new social media app. It's kind of like a big conference hall with lots of different rooms going on, people talking about different subjects. It's completely free. 
And it's a new thing, so it's still invitation only at the moment. It's still iPhone only as well. But I found a really nice community of of songwriters on there who are part of, yeah, part of a global organisation called the Songwriting Academy. Um, And I went in there and made friends with a bunch of people and we've been giving free mentoring advice six nights a week from 10 till midnight, uh, Saturday night off. But uh, I've made some great connections through that and it actually properly got me writing again on my own, which, uh, yeah, this is, this is, it's all new territory for me. But now all of a sudden we've got colleagues and friends in Florida and Nashville and it's made me feel weirdly global again from my, from my living yeah. room, you know, from my desk. Yeah. Um, and it's also it's made me feel useful and it's made rem- me remember that I'm not just a 50s housewife cooking and washing pants you know? <laughs> we were thinking well obviously you would have been playing up here quite soon in Tradfest were it to happen yeah. um but we we're thinking back to some of the previous gigs you played for us up here one with your dad at the Traverse Theatre um with Tim Erickson yeah. have you have you kept in yeah. touch with Tim very much so yeah we're, we're actually planning um <clears throat> we're planning a follow-up to to bottle uh, we recorded, as as you remember, half of Bottle at Your House during a live show in which I was very closely acquainted with Colin, the dog. <laughs> and I'll tell you, talk about that in a minute. But, uh, yeah, we've... <laughs> um, it sounds like he was clamped to your yeah, leg. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was, it was, he tried to clamp himself to the to the bass drum pedal in in the middle of the finale um and he got very very excited and so i became very acquainted with the smell of his insides which was <laughs> quite, yeah, excited excited dog fart just as i was taking a massive breath in to see <laughs> and also trying to dodge because i wasn't sure if he was going for the for the pedal or my foot so i was just like trying to dance around on one leg you know <laughs> it should be a colin in every recording studio mm. Oh, there absolutely should be. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, so we, we recorded. We recorded Bottle. When was that? Six was six years ago yeah. now. Something seven years. Yeah, it's a while. Yeah, and um, uh, so that's been out for a while, and it's it's it, it's done sort of quite well. It came out on Navigator Records, but um, in 1995, I don't know if I told you this at the time, but in 1995, Tim recorded me a, for want of a better word, a demo sitting by a stream he's very fond of wild recording you know he goes mm. he goes out and records himself singing the frozen girl in an igloo that kind of mm. thing you know in a snow fort that him and his son have made <laughs> that it's um it's really lovely or he was you know he'll go and stand in the middle of some giant some giant river in wyoming that kind of thing and let's play his banjo or up a mountain in the czech republic um and uh i I've always treasured this tape and then it occurred to me that the kind of found sounds and sort of half live, half studio thing that we went for on Bottle, that doing a new version of that tape, including um, samples and pieces of music from the tape that he made um, with kind of like my answer from lockdown. Because, you know, when he made me that tape, we didn't see each other after that for about 15 years. Mm. Um, so the idea of, of being at this huge remove in terms of time and also distance um, and that I could I could put all the material, well, I could put the actual recordings of that into my computer, I've digitised it all, and then record my parts now mm-hmm. singing with him from then. Oh, um, wow. there's, this, there's this water running through the whole tape because he was sitting by a river and uh, I know you guys have been to Robin Hood's Bay. I don't know if you walked down the bottom and saw we have um, we have a river that runs into the sea uh, through the old Victorian uh, water systems. Uh-huh. Um, and if you go in there, you're essentially going underneath the village. And the uh, the acoustics in there are absolutely incredible. Wow. In fact, Tim did record he recorded a song called I think it was called it called misery or no despair he recorded a song despair if you go to his youtube mm-hmm. channel you can hear um you can hear the the beautiful acoustics down there and also see how incredibly dark and spooky it is down there it's absolutely brilliant so that's where i'm going to do it so there will be an answering kind of water theme wow. Wow. Um, from Sounds my side incredible. of things yeah, yeah. 
it's it's going to be it's going to be wonderful. I haven't yet managed to to get down there um, in lockdown. We've had several other projects going on. Myself and David's Lara and Saul Rose are recording a trio album together. Nice. And um, yeah, and I've been working on the songwriting stuff and all of that. So I've got a few projects queued up. You know. Yeah, you get the feeling there's been a lot of creativity going on while people can't tour. You know, they've you know had to think of new ways of doing stuff and they've got into their local area and they're nature and all the rest of it so there's going to be a lot of good things coming out at the end I'm sure absolutely well I don't think that there haven't been weeks where I've just been staring at the ceiling and making sure everyone gets their dinner on time because there absolutely have been you know people have recorded whole albums and I'm just patting myself on the back because I managed to record a full song for the first time day before yesterday yeah, I think everybody's everyone's had their ups and downs, you know. I know a lot of people that are being yeah. super productive, but then there's days you just wake up and you know, it's despair, you know, it's yeah. just like all the things that you just Absolutely. can't do that you would normally do. And being a musician's a it's a lifestyle choice, really, isn't it? It's not necessarily a great um you know, it doesn't really make financial sense for a lot of people to be a musician. But it's a it's a lifestyle choice. <laughs> Certainly and, not and at the that moment. lifestyle's <laughs> gone, you know. It's uh it's no longer there. Completely, yeah, utterly gone. And I've never, I, I haven't slept in the same bed for so long since I was, yeah, since I was 13, mm. I think. I mean, I started gigging when I was 13. Mm. I'm 46 now, so, yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's, um, it's very, very strange. My, my body is like, where's my... Where's my Travelodge pillows? Some of them are firm and some of them are soft. <laughs> I don't understand. Where's my tiny breakfast with a foil top? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The weirdest thing, I started craving, I started craving like on the road sponge food. Uh-huh. I started craving Ginster's sandwiches. About six months <laughs> into lockdown, I was like, I want a sandwich. I want. I want a horrible pasty that's been microwaved. Oh my god! <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right now, honestly, I would kill someone's firstborn to eat something I hadn't cooked myself. But there you go. <laughs> I know how you feel. I know how you feel. One of the things I was quite interested to touch on actually was because I mentioned in the introduction about you living in Scotland, and I wondered about the. I suppose the Scottish influence on what you do, um, and I know that you had many connections with Scotland even before you lived here, because I think that you had the Stuart family came to stay at some point and all that. Um, do you think it's made yeah. a difference to what you do, the fact that you have such an affinity with us up here north of the border? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, oh, completely. Um, aside from yeah, family connections, um, we were connected to Edinburgh as well. And I... Yeah, I mean, the first time I came up to Edinburgh Folk Fest, the, the Edinburgh Folk Festival um, was, oh, I'm trying to think, 1994, I think. And that was uh, that was one of the years that Martin Bennett was headlining right, for the first time. And mm-hmm. yeah, he completely blew me away. Um, it's really no stretch to say that my approach to production in terms of modern reinterpretation of traditional music is very, very informed by the quality of music coming out of Edinburgh and Scotland in general. Um, and for sort of mid to late 90s, um, Jim Sutherland is was a massive influence mm-hmm. on me and the Sugars and all that yeah. lot. Um, and I, when, I, when I went to make my first album in 1995, I mean, I literally sat down uh, in the office at Topic Records and I said, we have to have proper production values. You know, we have to... I want, I, you know, this has to, to to look and sound great if we want to not compete but stand next to the kind of music that's coming out of the Celtic world and particularly Scotland at the moment. Um, we have to, we have to step up if if you want a youth movement, you're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to start taking things seriously in terms of in terms of quality, in terms of sleeves, in terms of production, in terms of all of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to. Also at that time and sort of for the next few years, I wanted to to represent on the world music stage as well. So it wasn't just the traditional and um, traditional contemporary music coming out of Scotland. It was also it was also like the Latin scene. And um, yeah, it was it was very important to me that that the English contemporary traditional music really step up. And as I say, yeah, Scotland was 
was huge, absolutely huge, featured in my brain and my heart with that and always has. Yeah, so um, it's uh, also true that the the stuff that you're working on now is collaborating with a Scottish-based musician. And um, I think we're going to hear um, one of the tracks that you, you know, we're bringing out. I mean, this, this is going to go out in May, so it should be out already. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my sort of connections with, with Edinburgh, you know, around the turn of the century seems like a weird thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it does, yeah. But yeah, but that, yeah, it sort of goes back to, goes back to the, the, you know, the Mollison family and, and particularly the New Street Bongo Club where I met Ben Seal, um, who is a five based producer and musician and performer, as you know. And um, again, it was one of those situations where we were sort of pally for a few years. And then I didn't see him for years and years and years after I after I moved down. And he just got in touch with me one day and he said, he said, um, well, I've had this, uh, this um, Scottish Arts Council grant. Um, and I want to make an album with and for you. And I was like, oh, okay, what's that mean? And he said, well, I want to, I want to write with you. He said, I want them to be your songs, but I want to create the palette. Right. And I want to, uh, he, he, he wanted to develop his creative practice in terms of composition because he studied composition and uh, arrangement, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I said, I said, look, I'm, crazy busy I've got two young children my children were I mean they're 12 and 10 now but they were they were so we talked six seven years ago um very very young then and I said I, I just can't I can't do it. and he said it's, 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 it's all right I'll pay myself to calm down and so he actually he came and set up camp in my house and for <laughs> like two and a half years we we sort of backwards and forwards wrote this album together and um and then I went up to his studio in Craig Rothy and he assembled this wonderful band, um, including some musicians that I knew very well and some musicians that I did, didn't know so well. Yeah. We recorded the album pretty much live with the core band yeah. and then he arranged and then he arranged um, Mr. McFall's Chamber over the top of that and um Again, a bit of backwards and forwards, a bit of changing things and stuff. And we came out with this work that I'm incredibly proud of. And I would never have been able to come up with it on my own. You know? um, I just, he just has whole different influences, whole sure. different worlds of music that he exists in that I don't, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, yeah, the album's called Through That Sound, My Secret Was Made Known, which is a line from a story in the Arabian Nights. My mum oh. bought my my kids this three volume set beautiful translation of the thousand and one nights and we wrote a trilogy there's a, there's two parts of it on the album but we yeah we wrote a trilogy a- around these stories to do with the fall of empires and the death of kings and things like that um and then we also wrote some pop music <laughs> um and songs about and songs about being apart uh, certainly the last song on the album um the good night song is is all about during the time that we were writing it there were there was the mass migration was going on and um so it's all about how you can feel very very sorry for yourself but you know out there in the world there are people walking around who are missing their children and missing their families and their homes have gone and things like that it's kind of all yeah about sort of having perspective um, yeah, and there were some love lost songs in there, and also, I've always been quite open about the fact that that I'm a survivor of domestic abuse. So there's a, a song about that on there as well. Um, we called it the domestic abuse disco. Do you remember the, <laughs> the masochism tango? So we call- <laughs> Our savage friend is, is the domestic abuse disco. So. <laughs> mm. you, yeah, you have to laugh about these things in the end. <laughs> So um, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful album, and as I as I say, it was supposed to come out on April Fool's Day last year, um, and we will do some kind of re-release. The, the tour that we were supposed to do around it, which would have included your your gig at Tradfest, mm-hmm. um, 
uh, has been re re rescheduled <laughs> to September. So that'll be happening in September now. Yeah. And um, yeah, just very much looking forward to being in a room with a load of sweaty musicians again. What's that yeah, all about? I know. <laughs> Everyone in this house smells nice. And I'm like, yeah. oh, no, I need I need boy yeah. feet <laughs> in a van. That's what I need. <laughs> so what track are we going to play? Let's go for the goodnight song because the, the goodnight song is is very much about um, about separation and about about perspective, and I think we're all feeling that at the moment. So let's let's play that. Great, thanks so much for talking to us. Yeah, excellent. Lovely to see you. Look forward to seeing you very soon. Flesh. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And say hi to your mum and dad from us. Of course, and and the wings. Of course, absolutely. And the wings, yeah. Absolutely. Good. All right, cheers. Okay, take care. Bye. See you, Eliza. Bye. Bye, Bye, guys. Bye. Goodbye. You crosses of the highway when I cry. I have parted from so many. But really, lucky birds like me, well... We're not ten a penny If I knew the way to dream My arms about your head long We'd be free and fostered too And we could roll in bed long. When we meet again Oh, how the room will rise to face you Until then, good night, my friends, good night, my friends, good night. Until then, good night, my friends, good night, my friends, good night. I sailed on Titicaca with my head long and my hands long. Good night, my friends, good night.
Until then, good night, my friends. Good night, my friends. Good night. Soon we'll be longing for longing no more. Longing for longing no more, no more. Longing for longing no more. Longing for longing. Thanks to Eliza for that uh, play of Until Then, The Good Night Song, which is on her brand new album that she recorded with Ben Seal up in Craig Rothy, which is out now. And the album is called Through That Sound, My Secret Was Made. We're really hoping that uh, Eliza can actually you know, do her tour in September because uh, we've got a booking for her at the Traverse for a part of our series of gigs there. So here's hoping. Fingers yeah. crossed. Great. So our next guest... Um, is uh, Pablo Lafuente from Project Smock, who has recorded this beautiful little piece all about his lockdown life. Hello, my name is Pablo Lafuente and I play guitar in a band called Project Smock. What you're hearing just now is a track from our most recent EP called Esperanza, recorded in September last year at Grant's House Studio near Bigger. This EP was written during the coronavirus pandemic, so most of the music was written and arranged remotely, something we've become very accustomed to. This was my first time mixing and engineering a Project Smock record, so I was really delighted when Ali and Ewan said that they would trust me enough to do this. The pandemic has affected all musicians and creatives across the globe, and it's definitely been a challenge for us too. I've used the time to slow down and reflect, something I now realise was needed. We've all had to find ways of making ends meet and to keep ourselves busy. I actually took on a job with Uber Eats delivering burgers around Airdrie. However, it didn't last long. After my fuel was paid for and I'd driven more than 18 hours within a 48 period time, I didn't come back with much at all. Luckily, I didn't need that job to survive, but it was a real wake-up call and made me realise how lucky I am to be in the profession that I'm in. I'll definitely never complain about a gig again. I've always been really interested in the audio side of things and I was already in the process of building my own studio before the pandemic hit. So when all my gigs disappeared, I really threw myself into recording and mixing. I quickly realised it was quite a handy skill to have as most musicians were forced to buy themselves an interface and a microphone so that they could record themselves and collaborate with other musicians remotely. This came in handy for me as lots of people were now needing their own music mixed. As well as working from home, Last year I started working in Grant's house studio that I mentioned before as a freelance engineer with Chris Waite and Angus Lyon which has been a brilliant learning experience for me and I've really appreciated having the time to spend down there and to be able to record other musicians as well as my own bands. I often wonder if the pandemic hadn't hit I might still be just concentrating on gigging as much as I could and not really on the studio side of things so perhaps what's happened has kind of shown us that there's other ways of of making a living and it's definitely given me the time to explore other avenues that I really wanted to but I couldn't before when I was busy with gigs. It's been great to see how musicians have evolved during this time and how they've adapted to what's been thrown at them. Moving forward I'm feeling quite optimistic and excited about things. I feel that we'll have a fresh perspective on things and I really hope I can maintain that clear outlook on what's important and what's not. 2021 for me is hopefully going to be a really exciting year as I'm hoping to get married to my fiance Katie, which we've had planned for a few years now, but we've not been sure if we're going to be able to go ahead with it or not. But I'm feeling quite optimistic that hopefully we will be able to go ahead with that. So, I hope you're all doing okay and managing to find your way through all of this. We as a band are so, so excited to get back out and play gigs and festivals. 
and it's going to be better than ever when it all comes back. Cheers for now. Thanks to Pablo Lafuente for that uh, really beautiful piece. Um, there's going to be a lot more of these little pieces from musicians called, sort of entitled My Lockdown Life. The wee track that was playing underneath this chat was from the new EP Esperanza by Project Smock, which you can buy on Bandcamp and I highly recommend it. So moving on, we're going to now have a little chat with Kevin Henderson, who's uh, over in Norway with his family. And uh, yeah, see what, what he's been up to and what's coming up. I'd like to say also that Kevin should have been in our opening concert, um, which is now streaming via edinburghtradfest.com, Shetland Springs, and he'll talk a little bit about that in the interview too. Here's Kevin. We've enjoyed Kevin Henderson's bravura fiddle playing many times, most recently and most often with the highly accomplished and highly entertaining Nordic Fiddler's Block, which he formed with Norwegian Olaf Mjelva and Swede Anders Hall. This year's Edinburgh Tradfest opening concert, Shetland Springs, is a show celebrating the Shetland fiddle tradition that should have seen him reunited with fellow islanders Katrina MacDonald, Chris Stout, Margaret Robertson and Ross Cooper. However, thanks to current travel restrictions and because he lives in Norway, the show has had to go on without him. Thankfully, we are able to catch up with him remotely for the podcast. Hi, Kevin. Hello. Hello, Kevin. So tell us where <laughs> tell us where you are right now, somewhere in Norway. Yeah, I'm in a place called Stabestad, which is part of the Kragro commune, which is the most southerly part of Telemark in Norway. I was thinking of skiing. Telemark. I skiing is not my strong point. No. Being a Shetlander. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably a little bit risky, you know, sort of arms breaking and things like that when among skiers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Your your arms are insured for a few million, aren't they? Uh, Lira. Lira. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, how are things in Norway right now with the the dreaded COVID? Well, it's taken a turn for the worst. Actually, mm-hmm. it was um, looking a bit better. I would say in the autumn, things started to open up a bit more and then it started to go downhill around Christmas and now it's gone, it's got quite a bad rate at the moment mm-hmm. going up. Mm-hmm. I should say we're recording this a little bit before um, these podcasts go out in May, so hopefully by then the situation okay. will have improved, we hope. So what, I hope so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what have you been doing over the last um, 12 tedious months well um i think probably at the start of the the covid outbreak i was generally pretty lucky because i was asked to do a lot of uh, online streaming gigs mm-hmm. and a lot of teaching stuff workshops and various things on zoom and that type of thing mm-hmm. so i had a couple of months of being really busy with that and then I decided to take a little break from it because I felt we're all trying to fight for a small amount of work that's available and I yeah. thought it would be just good to take a side <laughs> side step away and give some other somebody else a, uh, a chance at getting that sort of work. So I, I was pretty, I mean I still did a lot of teaching online and that sort of thing. And then summer I took a big mm-hmm. a big break. And then after summer Norway had opened up quite a bit, so we had a, a couple of gigs with Nordic Fiddler's Block mm-hmm. in September, if I remember right. Yeah, was Anders allowed uh, in from Sweden? Yeah, what happened there was he had to come over. Was it three, four days before, and he got a test on arrival right. into Norway, and when he got the results, he could venture out, <laughs> but he still had to be sort of confined to his hotel room when we weren't performing or sound checking or whatnot it was still quite strict and we were actually we were at a festival in Trondheim where he had to eat at another table in the dressing room (laughs) and me and Olaf was it (laughs) that's that's how they treat the Swedes in Norway now yeah just getting their own back for years (laughs) pillage and all that kind of stuff yeah so yeah, that was a couple of gigs in September. We actually had a, we released a new album in November and had a couple of gigs planned 
in December, but then it tightened up a lot and he was going to have to quarantine for 10 days. So it wasn't actually feasible mm-hmm. for him to come. Okay. So Olive and I did the concerts without him, but it was more sort of, sort of, we both sat on stage and there was a lot of solo things and a couple of right. uh, things together. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, it obviously wasn't Nordic Fiddler's Block. No. <laughs> we were trying to remember the last time we saw you um, when you were last in Scotland, I think. When was, when was that? That is a good question. Uh, no, I was going to say Celtic Connections, but I wasn't there with the block before. Mm. I actually can't remember. I think it might have been 2019 earlier. The autumn 2019, maybe? Spring. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what we do know, of course, is that Anders left his underwear in the dryer and we can't wait for him yeah. to come back and remove it. <laughs> I'm sure he's got other underwear that he's been wearing, so. though, for the last so. couple of years. Yeah. Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one thing I don't think I've ever asked you before is, so obviously um, Nordic Fiddlers has been highly successful, and you know, a band that pretty much everyone I know loves. Um, how did you first all kind of get together? Well, I started coming to Norway... Sort of 2007, 2008 mm-hmm. sort of time. Mm-hmm. And we, I kind of met Anders first, mm-hmm. if my memory serves me correctly, at um, just festivals and things. And we really enjoyed hanging out and socialising yes. and uh, late night jamming. And uh, Anders kind of had this idea about having a, like a fiddle trio, of like just fiddles mm-hmm. from different sort of... Areas and he played in a band with Olaf Sver mm-hmm. at the same time, so he asked if Olaf was interested, which he was. And we basically just we met up at just in the scene here at festivals and things, and we just set off some weekends just to go and sort of hang and play music together. And we realized that uh, we got on really well socially and musically, and we decided to organize a tour just to see what the sort of vibe would be on the road and it was that was in Norway and it was really successful great feedback so that's how it kind of took off and that was in 2009 right there's always a really good kind of uh, rapport between the three of you I mean it's sort of like a, a wee sort of verbal battle that goes on between the tracks um, yeah did we, that start from get, day one did it <laughs> pretty much yeah. <laughs> it's uh yeah we get on great and then it's really an important part of being in a band, especially if you're a touring band, because you spend so much time in each other's mm-hmm. faces mm-hmm. in a confined space in a car or whatnot. And so it's almost as important as the music, the social side of things. But uh, yeah. we get on really well socially and we really love each other's traditions and styles. So. So far, it's worked well. It works well for our gigs because our gigs generally are very kind of intimate. Either the house concerts that we put on or the ones at the Traverse are very close. The audience is really in close. We we know, you know, everyone kind of knows everyone there. And I think that that aspect of the gigs really important. The chat between tracks and things. It's not it's not a formal concert where you step out from behind a curtain, play music, and step off again. You know, it's it's. It's, it really works well. Nordic fiddlers yeah. really works well in that kind of situation. Oh, well, that's nice to hear. But I think it's really important to have a... I, I mean, I love intimate gigs, and I like... It's, I think it's important to have interaction with an audience. I, I mean, I think I first saw how valuable it was when I started working with Boys of the Loch and, like, Cahill McConnell, who is just a <laughs> genius with an audience, mm-hmm. whether it's in a room of 10 people or in a room of a 1,000. He's incredible. Uh, he just has an audience eating at the palm of his hand. Yeah, it's hard to get Cathal to stop talking, really. You know, it, it is. <laughs> yeah, we only used to play, I think it was two sets in the first half and maybe three in the second. <laughs> uh, well, we saw him recently. He's doing great. So, uh... Yeah, I spoke to him on the phone not so long ago. So he was on great forum. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ah, he's a legend. So tell us a wee bit about this new album, Bonfrost. Good Shetland word, right? Yes, that's an old Shetland term for 
like when there's been a really hard frost and it's like a, a beautiful morning. I've always been taken with that sort of mornings. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this album, it's been it's taken a little while to get together, mainly due to the fact we've been busy gigging and busy with various projects and also with family life. Yeah, sure. So it's been, it's been hard to just uh, get time to sit down and make the album but we got there in the end and we went into the studio right before lockdown pretty much and got the album recorded mm-hmm. but um yeah it's just a mix of norwegian swedish and shetland music and a, a couple of other things besides yeah kind of this one actually i should say that the thing we did differently on this album is we had three solo tracks from each of us because oh, wow. we quite we quite often get asked by audience members if they can hear each individual style. Right. Um, so we thought, why not do that on the album since we get asked about it quite a lot. So we thought we'd have a track from, from each of us as well. I was going to say, are those traditional tracks or are they ones that you guys have written? The, the solo tracks yes. is all traditional Okay, so I'm interested Hardcore to know... Hardcore traditional. <laughs> I'm interested to know what the Shetland track is then. That is two reels from the John Stickle collection, and he was a fiddle player from the island of Unst mm-hmm. in the north of Shetland. And he he came from a long line of very prominent fiddle players in the Shetland fiddle tradition, and one of them, I would say, one of the main... Figures in the Shetland fiddle tradition, especially, was a man called Friedemann Stickle. There's a lot of tunes attributed to him. So he he was from that family, but he had a great repertoire of tunes, and I've been taken with that collection quite a lot recently. And that two tunes mm-hmm. I'm very fond of, yeah. so I put them together for that yeah. for this album. So obviously, as we said, we were very sad that you weren't able to be in the Shetland Springs, but I know that you know some of these uh, other fiddlers pretty well. Um, uh, I understand, for example, you were at school with Chris Stout. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, Chris and I are actually cousins as well. Ah. He's from Fair Isle, and my grandmother and was... Fair Isle stock as well. She's a stout, or was a stout before she got married. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're, uh, what are we, fourth cousins, I think. Okay. I think I'm right in saying that. But, yeah, we went to, to high school together before he set off to Glasgow to, to study. But we played a lot when we formed Fiddler's Bid yeah. when we were 14 Many moons ago. <laughs> so you, you formed that band when you were 14? I didn't realise that. Yeah. This this year will be our 30th anniversary, actually. Wow. Which is frightening. It is, rather, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but we, we spent a lot of time growing up together for good friends and music companions yeah were you you music, <laughs> were you kind of sparring partners did you were you competitive at all or well i wasn't no not at all i mean i think i think people that's not involved in the music side of things often like to think there's like competition and I think it's more like healthy competition, I would say, mm-hmm. friendly yeah. banter. But it's always good to have great musicians because it pushes you the whole time, mm-hmm. I think. And mm-hmm. I mean, no matter how good you are, there's always somebody better. So that's yeah. how music is. And it's quite a crew that we've got together for that gig. So, so. Yeah, I'm a bit gutted to miss it, but it'll be okay. great to do it one day yeah, in the future. Yeah, to do it again. <laughs> Good. And um, I remember you once telling me at a fiddle school that was in Norway, it was all conducted in English and there were teachers from all over the globe, but you were the only person they couldn't understand is English. Oh, that, <laughs> that, yeah, that was at um, Ethnomusic Camp in Sweden. Oh, right. Uh-huh. Where there was four, four Swedish 
uh, artistic leaders, we were called, and me from Shetland. And there was like young people from all over the world. And uh, I was the, the of course, natural English speaker, but I was the only one who didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but you still got a wee trace of the Shetland accent, we're glad to hear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've learned how to. Temper, to temper pronounce it. and yeah. speak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think at the, the, that time when I went to that uh, ethnomusic camp, I wasn't long out of Shetland, so I still had quite a thick, yeah, thick dialect, I suppose. And I, I wasn't aware that I wasn't speaking <laughs> properly. <laughs> Expect five minutes in Shetland, and it would all come back, though. Eh? Of course. Well, that's funny. Actually, you just go back into this natural. It's like, for example, if I meet up with whoever from what, my friend from Shetland and there's somebody else that's not from Shetland, I'll just automatically go to dialect without thinking about it. It's just a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's quite bizarre. <laughs> yeah, but it comes back pretty quick. Yeah. When was the last time you were home? Oh, that was the summer of 2019. Okay. So I've not seen my family really for, well, coming on for two years soon which is a bit mm-hmm. a bit sad but there's not much that can be done about it yeah same as loads of people and they wouldn't have seen yeah. your kids either for that matter. no that's that's the thing that i suppose gets to me the most is they're missing a big chunk of them growing up and they grow so quick mm-hmm. yeah um but Luckily, we've got like FaceTime and that sort of thing, yeah. which you're going to have a bit of contact. Definitely. Yeah, my granddaughter tries to pass me biscuits and toys through the, the phone camera. <laughs> and uh, I've thought about <laughs> getting all the same toys at this side, you know, so I can reach out and <laughs> pretend to take them and hold it up. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it is hard, though. It's pretty tough. It is. To make contact. So yeah. tell us about the Nordic Fiddler's kind of future plans. Have you got some gigs in the calendar? Have you got any plans to be coming back here whenever? Or are you, of course, you can't really plan that so much. But Yeah, I mean, we do. But as you just said, it's really difficult to plan mm-hmm. because, I mean, a lot of this place is going to be vaccine dependent. And like Norway seems to be very slow with mm-hmm. the rollout. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be going to the States in August, but I'm a bit mm. doubtful that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, there was talk about a UK tour at the end of the year, but I think that'll have to be maybe next year yeah. at some point. So it's just so hard to plan. Totally. Mm. Yeah. Totally. So I think we're going to finish off with a wee track from the new album. Thanks very much for sharing that with us. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the track that you've chosen? Yeah. Well, let me play um, a composition of Olaf. He writes fantastic tunes, and I love this tune, and it's a tune he wrote after a trip to Sweden, which he called Don't Drink and Dance. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I'm sure there's a story in Come there. Come on, there must be a story. <laughs> uh, you need to ask Olaf. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great, let's hear it. Great, okay. Thanks so much. Thanks very so much, much for the chat. Me. You're and, very welcome. Uh, we hope to see you very soon, one way or another. I hope so, and take care, and uh, I'll speak soon. Yeah. Great. Cool. Okay.
beautiful piece of music. Uh, Don't Drink and Dance from the album Bonfrost by the Nordic Fiddler's Block, which you can buy from their own website. And all those other places where you can stream and download music. Our last little piece today is the first of a series of stories from Sugal Nifty. They're well known for their music, of course, but also well known for their tall stories. This one, I believe, is true. It's all about when Ailey Shaw hitchhiked home for Christmas with uh, the late, great Angus R. Grant. When myself and Angus hitchhiked home for Christmas, which was a bit of an adventure. And it happened um, not when myself and Angus were living in a flat together, so I don't know, we must have been in different flats, but we arranged to meet in the pub in the afternoon on Christmas Eve and start hitching home uh, me to Argyle and him to Lochaber and uh, I can't remember what time we met up but I can only imagine it was def- at least after midday which seems crazy because it's dark by three o'clock but I remember meeting him in the Tron and he had a pint and so I got a pint and uh, and then we said, well, we should probably go. And he said, well, just give me five minutes while I go and buy Christmas presents for my family. And <laughs> so uh, I think I, probably, I got another pint while he went off. And he came back quite quickly, actually. He came back with uh, a book for his father and a book for his mother and a book for his sister Fiona and a book for his sister Deirdre. He was, he was quite happy. And I was actually really jealous of him at that point. I was very impressed and jealous because I had bag loads of ridiculously big things taken back to my I had bought one thing I'd bought was one of these kind of copper urn things that you put beside your fireplace for my, my brother and his wife and it's like the most ridiculous thing to try and carry home for Christmas. Angus was totally laughing with his four books and I was like dragging all this stuff. Anyway, we got on the road and Angus says, right, the first thing we have to do is get a train to Stirling. Great. Angus really knew what he was doing. He was an old hand at this. We got the train to Stirling and then he says, right, we need a taxi now. We got a taxi. Oh, we'd had a couple of wee cans on the train. It was all kind of, we are feeling pretty good about everything. We got a taxi to the middle of nowhere this roundabout where he said it was the best place for hitching home and we got out and it was just kind of just starting to get dark at this point <laughs> and Angus had a, a he produced a bottle of brandy at that point and uh, we stuck out thumbs and straight away got a lift jumped in this car with his two wife and they said oh yeah yeah no, but we're not going very far but we'll take you to Strathire so that's great so we were kind of feeling great at this point. Got out of the car at Strathair and we said, why don't we go for a wee pint? Feeling really chuffed for ourselves. Went for a pint. And when we came out of the pub in Strathair, it was pitch dark and snowing. And uh, it was, I don't know, it was maybe about six o'clock at night by this point. So we stood there for a while, hitching, and eventually a car came along it was a, a couple of wee wifeys in a little camper van and they said um, listen we're, we're actually going to Killin so I don't know if you want to get in or not it's you know it's a it's a kind of dodgy situation where we drop you off there's nothing there we said ah we'll go for it it'll be fine they took us to Lick's Toll and they went off down to Killin and they left us in Lick's Toll where there's nothing except a garage which was closed and a red phone box which unfortunately isn't there anymore because it became a big part of my life that night so I kind of miss it now but uh, it was snowing fairly heavily by this point it was quite late on on Christmas Eve we still had half a bottle of brandy uh, but there was absolutely not a car on the road at all and we spent maybe two hours and huddled in this phone box. We kept singing um, the fairy tale in New York. We kind of <laughs> we knew some of the words at the start, and then we'd keep 
trying to remember new words and then eventually, I think we sang it so much that eventually we finally got all the words. The whole time this dog barked incessantly and thinking back that's probably why, but we sang our heads off Fairytale in New York and no cars came and eventually we realised that we'd kind of messed up and uh, we'd have to do something about the situation. Also the brandy was finished I suppose. So uh, we, I think we phoned Angus's dad first and uh, Angus's dad said, oh, well, you know, I'd love to help you, but uh, I've had a few drams and I can't, I can't come and get you. And, okay, don't worry, Angus. So we phoned my parents and uh, they said the same. We've had a few drams now. Uh, we can't really come and get you. Don't know what, uh, geez, what we're going to do. And we we're very lucky that my my uh, brother and his wife arrived at my parents' house about five minutes after that from Glasgow, and they were sober, and they got in their car and drove through the snow to come and get us. And Angus had to come to my parents' house with me for Christmas Eve, and Santa, you know, Santa came to me. But he didn't come to Angus. I don't know if he thought Angus was more responsible for the whole situation than I was. But uh, in the morning, Angus's dad, <laughs> Angus's dad, had to come down and take Angus. I think, I think maybe he got a visit from Santa at that point. But anyway, we're both kind of in disgrace for the first half of Christmas Day. Oh, fabulous! Uh, I can't help but thinking that if they'd taken the train fares to Stirling, the taxi out of town, the price of the brandy and the pints, they probably could have got trains to Tainuelt and Fort William instead, rather than go through all that <laughs> hassle. It wouldn't have made half as good a story though, would it? Let's face no, it. No, it's very true. Anyway, um, so thanks to Ailey and the rest of our guests, Eliza Carthy, Kevin Henderson and Pablo Lafuente. If you're listening to this during the festival, Please check out our opening concert, which streams all week, Shetland Springs, featuring four of Shetland's top fiddlers, Katrina MacDonald, Margaret Robertson, Chris Stout and Ross Cooper. Our next episode, launching tomorrow, will include an interview with the US banjo wizard Aaron Jonah Lewis and the story of how we made Wild Mountain Time. Until then, bye. Edinburgh Tradfest podcast is produced and presented by Douglas Robertson and Jane Ann Purdy, with the help of our hugely capable engineer, Dave Kane. The theme tune, Silence of the Trams, is by Angus R. Grant, performed and arranged by Sugal Nifty. Information on all our guests and the music played is listed on our website, edinburghtradfest.com. Huge thanks to our funders, Creative Scotland and... The William Grant Foundation, makers of Glenfiddich and other wonderful things. Please rate, review and subscribe to Edinburgh Tradfest podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apparently that helps other people find it. Thanks very much. <laughs>